friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined again by my spur-wearing, surly 10-year-old, uh, blood-drinking, shit-kicking friend and co-host. Finger-licking good, Alex Dandino. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, this is gonna be a good one. Guys, we thank you again for joining us on this, the month of Amour, right? So we hope that you enjoyed Birth. We hope that you enjoyed Harold and Maude. Uh, but today we're here for Near Dark. Classic uh, vampire Catherine, Bigel- uh, Catherine Bigelow joint. Let me get that word out. Uh, if you guys are here, we hope you love the show. Please take a second. Leave us a rating and review wherever you find podcasts. You can subscribe and follow us on YouTube. That's Nerd Alchemist, plural, with an S at the end. Uh, and also find us on all the socials, man. I'm we are where to the you subscribe are. Subscribe buttons down below. <laughs> yeah, do just not pointing exist. at buttons. <laughs> we are here uh, at your beck and call, guys. We would like to hear more uh, movies that you would like to hear us cover, man. So always feel free to hit us up. Uh, again, I would like to drop a, a special thank you to our friend uh, Carmelita, who came on and did a double feature with us last week. Much obliged. We covered uh, Bliss and Loose on Shutter. If you haven't seen those, they are wildly good time. Uh, so check those out, man. But now we're here to talk <laughs> Near Dark. This is the cool thing about Near Dark is this has been so hard to find on DVD for me for years, right? I read somewhere it's in one of those weird kind of limbo legal things. Right. So it was always one of those, hey, do you want to buy this DVD for like $65 somewhere? Like, no, I don't want to no. do that, right? That's gonna and be then nice. all of a sudden it pops up on Criterion Channel. I was like, holy shit, this is our fucking chance yeah. uh, to cover. So Alex... What are your initial thoughts on Near Dark? Uh, you know, it's interesting because like Near Dark's one of those. I'm not like a huge vampire movie guy. Like I don't like seek it out a lot of the time. But Near right. Dark was one of those that I saw a long time ago, and always remembered Bill Paxton's performance from that movie particularly, and then forgot that that was the movie that he was in that I was so enamored with. Um, but again, like. <laughs> I, on a second, on a not second watching, but on another watching, I realized Near Dark is um, one of the few, really one of the few vampire movies that doesn't like necessarily violate the rules, but also like is so much fun as this sort of western chase movie. I guess almost. Yeah, it is a very weird like it's this mashup of like uh, uh, just a chase movie, uh, Wild Boys, like all kinds of crazy shit in this movie's going on. But at, the, at its heart, it's a very cool like little western that I really dig, actually. Yeah, I think that's the funniest part is this is probably the one vampire movie that really sticks out in my mind that if you just remove the element of vampirism, right? Like, just say they're not vampires. Yeah. It doesn't really alter the movie an enormous amount, right? No. It would be hard to explain Homer away, I guess. But other than that, you're like, this could just be a guy who falls in with a bad lot chasing yeah. a girl. I mean, it feels right? like very... this could play equally natural born killers. You could just take the vampirism out. Yeah. And it doesn't fully change the movie. And normally that would bother me in a genre flick. But in this one, it doesn't at all. Yeah. There's a big chunk of this that actually reminds me of. And this is weird. Uh, Terrence Malick's Badlands. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, and again, like it's very different and everything and it's far less ethereal than I think Terrence Malick usually makes movies, <laughs> but, uh, there is a huge chunk of that, like sort of Bonnie and Clyde vibe throughout the movie that I really, really yeah. dig. And that's like probably the thing, obviously it's why we're putting it in the month of Amour, but, 
Uh, that's probably the thing that I think is the only second most interesting short of the actual acts of vampirism in the movie. And again, yeah. I don't seek out vampire movies. This is one of the few vampire movies though, where I like am deeply engaged when vampirism becomes a thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this one has, like, the iconic vampire moment in this movie is the bar scene, obviously. Right, right. But that could absolutely play in a natural-born killer's fashion, totally. right? 100%. Because what, what this movie does that I, I really adore, right, is that at its very core, what this movie is to me is just about the depths of loneliness and how that makes things seem unimportant to me, Interesting. right? What you get on this movie is a lot of people just on the road, just kind of randomly bumping into other strangers. Yeah. And it's just this, like, there's this scene, right, where they're all, we kind of are introduced to how all the vampires hunt, right? Right. Homer pretends to wreck his bike. He comes across a guy on a lonely country road. Bill Paxson's hitchhiking, and these two women are just so excited to go have a drink with another guy. Right. And it, it reminds, I mean, it just starts that way right from the start of the flick, right, where uh you know caleb rolls up to the bar and he even says you know uh first star i see tonight i wish i was you know a thousand miles away from here right Right. and it's just this kind of waiting for life to happen waiting for something to happen other than just kind of hanging around right and i think that element of the human part of the story pairs extremely well with the vampire part totally because it's the it's the craziest thing about these vampires to me in this movie is how riled up they are about seemingly everything, right? Like, they're always at a nine. Yeah. Or actually, Amped. they're always at, like, a spinal tap 11. Oh, yeah. Especially Homer. He's always on fucking tilt. And it's just, yeah. if you've lived that long, right? Like, Jesse tells us he fought in for the South in the Civil War. Right. <laughs> how are you still able to muster that many emotions? Jesse right? says Bill he fought for the emotion, South. And but Bill, Bill Paxson's emotion feels very false and like he's desperately trying to make a show and a spectacle and feel anything from this. Right. Yeah, I think that's the, the rest thing. of them feel more earnest and it's pretty in- interesting to me. Yeah. Bill Paxton's like the greatest vampire nihilist I've ever seen in a movie. Like oh he God. literally cares not for anything. I, it, I, I'm being 100 percent honest. I think this is my favorite Bill Paxton performance. Really? Because it's just everything he does so well. Right. And like in Aliens, he's kind of, you know, playing it from a lesser part. Right. <laughs> Weird science. You know, he's like actually turned into a pile of shit. <laughs> and he has some really good performances later. But this one is peak Bill Paxson, just craziness. Right. And he's coming from a position of I, I don't know if you would say necessarily a position of power, but he definitely has it over other humans. But even within the group, he feels like he's kind of a trained attack dog. But it's just it's this perfect zone where you really see what Bill Paxton was capable of. Right. He's just a wildly entertaining guy to watch on film. It's interesting that you bring this up as like your favorite Bill Paxton performance. I don't know if you realize this because I, I was watching it and thought, I'm like, huh. And I flipped through all our shows. This is only the second Bill Paxton movie we've done. Which, I mean, honestly, given our track record, I'm shocked. Like, well, that's what I mean. Bill Paxton and Lance Hendrickson are two like perfect film alchemist actors. Right. Totally. I don't know that we've done any Lance movies yet. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, but, well, we did it for Longbox. We did Peahead. Right. Pumpkinhead for sure. But right. we need to justify that because I, I love this movie has such a stellar cast. Yeah. The vampire just the, the acting in this movie is so fucking good. 
I adore this cast a lot, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the part that struck it's it it's just a really unusual movie to me as far as the vampire genre. Cuz I would argue with you on that point is that I think it breaks all the rules of vampirism, right? I mean the the, the I mean the simple fact that they cure vampire vampirism essentially with a blood transfusion. Right. I'm like, I don't know specifically, but I think if I were to put like a liter of my blood in a milk bottle and then drain you out, I don't think it would cure the vampire. So, I mean, that is very specifically the only rule that I saw being completely broken. The rest of it follows, I think, um, vampire story very well as far as like, like I like literally every time they're around sunlight, they just burst into flames which is pretty cool yeah the running and smoking and burning is really great in this movie yeah but what i what i think i'm getting at with that right is like it doesn't necessarily follow vampirism rules to me because even the thing of uh may nourishing caleb from her own body yeah it feels that i didn't love as much right like the vampire has to take the flesh i think that's kind of the the whole point of it right they become this you are living eternally because you are draining from someone who's an unwilling participant. That obviously what I think is really fun about this movie though, is that I think it's clearly making a delineation that the vampirism is there is set decoration. It's not the fucking story, right? Totally. The story is not these vampires clinging to life. Cause I think what you see, especially near the ending is I was shocked at how much these vampires, some of whom have been around for hundreds of years, really seem to not give a fuck that it's all coming to an end. And that's very different than how a lot of vampires play. Right. I mean, I think that's what Catherine Bigelow does so well in this movie is like, I feel like if it was supposed to really be about vampires, like vampires is basically the hook to tell a story about loneliness like you were talking about. Because to me, vampires don't hang out in the West, especially in wide open places like that, because right. You know, pretty much like as soon as the sun comes up, you're fucked. Like wherever you are, you're just you're there. all sun. Every, like, yeah. you know, those John Houston or John Ford vistas. Yeah, just fucking exactly. Actually, everywhere. that was something I noted too. Like, um, in the, the first, uh, the first scene, like the morning after Adrian Pazdar is bitten where he's running mm. that shot, that like wide open where you see him running. And then in the distance, you see the RV with the rest of the vampires rolling through like that to me was really classic Catherine Bigelow stuff. Cause I feel like I've seen that in point break. I definitely have seen it in the hurt locker. Like she loves giving us this like wide shot that is mm-hmm. supposed to kind of just sum up the movie in a way. Like it's literally about a drifter about someone drifting through and then catching up with people like minded like him. Like that's to me something that I feel very, I feel very comfortable from Catherine Bigelow's perspective when she makes those decisions as far as a director. I love that. I love that vibe. She does a really good job with loners meeting up with yeah. people who shouldn't be like-minded as our char- as our main character, but are. It's very interesting. Yeah, and that scene especially plays out in a very visually captivating way, right? Which is, right. here's this guy literally caught in the middle of a field, right? Trying, stumbling, struggling back to the life that he's known, his family. And here comes this other drifter. And it's it reminds me of, you know, these two bullets passing on a battlefield, right? Ooh, yeah. And, you know, every now and again, there's this one image I've seen a hundred times of the bullet that hits another bullet, right? And they're stuck together and make this X. And that's what this movie is to me, is just these people 
in this empty, lonely atmosphere where nothing is happening. There's no grandeur. And then this guy just happens to stumble into this adventure, as it were. Right. But that scene, especially of him just trying to get back to his life, and he's just intercepted and caught. And then he's going on this for a guy who seemingly feels so desperate to have some action, something going on, right? Here it is. Yeah. And then watching his emotional struggle with because there's a that's the really fun part too i like about caleb in this movie is his ebb and flow right because he's not just a guy who's like i'm repulsed you made me a vampire you know for the whole movie right you see constantly that caleb is enamored with this right right how old are you jesse when he's in the bar and he gets shot and he's not dead you see him holy shit yeah he thinks that's amazing Right. Yeah. My favorite moment of this with Caleb, right? My favorite Caleb moment in the whole movie is when the guy runs and dives out of the bar and Caleb has to go track him down. There's this great shot where he's standing over him. Very powerful. Picks him up. He's holding him by the lapels and you can just see him vibing that power. Totally. He's holding this helpless other man who's just struggling and you can see the power coming through. Right. He survived a gunshot. He's all amped up. And the guy just kind of weeps and says, like, please, please. And he recognizes that weakness. Yeah. And this is the moment where Caleb is most confronted with, damn, this is pretty cool. Damn, I've got May. You know, this is kind of what I've always wanted in a weird, perverse way. Right. But he lets that motherfucker go and knows that he will face consequence for that. Right. Um, And then to see him get right back into like, oh, I'll go get the van and be like a hero. That The ebb and flow of Caleb in this, right, is that he really wants – to bite the forbidden fruit, and he just manages to stay strong. I think it's yeah. a really, really strong place to put that character in a vampire movie. Absolutely. Right? Because I mean, most of the time in vampire movies, we sit and look at the decay and the rot yeah. and the unnaturalness of it, but that's not what this movie's about. No, I mean, I think that's the advantage that this movie has over other vampire movies is it's not about exploring... It's not about exploring the lore of vampirism at all, which is great. It's about one man's journey from darkness back to the light. And that's Mm. like, and not only that, like his journey deeply into darkness of like, what am I willing to do to survive essentially? Yeah. And then realizing like survival is not what I'm after here. What I'm after is life. Like eternal life is not this, this is survival, which I think is really fascinating because when you look at Bill Paxton, Lance Hendrickson, uh, the woman from aliens, I can never remember her fucking name, but, uh, those characters are all like thriving as survivalists. Essentially. They don't see it as that, but it's funny because we're all watching this from Caleb's perspective. And you realize throughout the movie, this is what survival looks like. This isn't thriving. It's surviving. Yeah. And I don't even know. Surviving is a way to put it. There, there's something extra sad about these vampires, right? Right. These guys watching these vampires, like when they were playing the Russian roulette card game, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just so desperate to use their powers to feel anything. Right. Exactly. Um, And you see it a lot in Bill Paxton's character, but there is just this fucking extra layer of sadness, right? Like a lot of vampire movies will do the, I'm an old rotting man. Like I've seen so much, (laughs) right? Yeah. You know, Oh, I drained so many lives, but I'm like, I get that part of it, right? The the eternal sure. life is not the gift we think it is, right? The fact that we know that we could die at any day makes it more precious and special. 
And a lot of times vampire flicks are made to remind us of that. Like, hey, how many fucking days have you wasted in your life? Like, right. stop doing that. This one captures it in a more sincere way because what we're doing too is Jesse and May, or not Jesse, Caleb and May, are actually at the start of some kind of life. You know, they're bonding. I mean, once you get over the hurdle of, wow, this is the weirdest meet cute of all time, right? And somehow they form a relationship, right? Right. <laughs> but once they do, there's this earnest, wow, look at these two people. Again, in this vast, lonely world that we spend time in, they have found each other and they have found love and they seem to really be living more than we saw either of them at the start of the film, right? Right. Meanwhile, we see these other characters just violently lashing out at the world, trying to procure any kind of rise. Right. Well, you know, just trying to be repulsive or whatever, just anything to inspire the fact that, you know, this is worth it to them. Right. right. Watching Jesse and Diamondback versus Caleb and May is beautiful in this film. You're like, oh, fuck, they're living it now. Right. Well, but this is where it goes. Is this all that it's worth? I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, again, I just see great parallels between this and Point Break for Catherine Bigelow. Like, <laughs> it's almost the same blueprint. It's a guy coming from the outside, seeing a world, and while he's trying to find meaning in what he thinks is, like, this self-imposed loneliness almost, mm-hmm. on the other side of that where, like, you either have uh, Lance Hendrickson's character or Bodie. Like they're the same, they're of the same ilk. Whereas people who find themselves fulfilling with thrill and find themselves fulfilling with something that we might find to be empty, but maybe there's a deeper and more hidden meaning to it than we're thinking of. Like in this movie, particularly prolonged life and trying to sort of experiment with that as much as possible really is kind of what the thrill is. Because obviously, like, okay, so Lance Hendrickson's character has been alive forever. He fought for the South. They imply that him and Bill Paxton's character uh, were involved with the Chicago fire, you know, like all these, like right. all those fun little bits that you get from those kinds of things. I mean, I think ultimately what's great is it's about these characters trying to experiment. It's about characters experimenting with, like I was saying, thriving versus surviving. Like right. what we view as, what we view as creatures of the night and maybe like as parasitic behavior almost really is them living the living their best life. Like who knows, like this time in the, which is weird. This time in the wide open West might be their best lives. This might be the best time they've ever had. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's the, that's the part of these vampires that was stranger to me. Right. Right is they they're definitely enjoy the powers they have. But this is the other thing, too. A lot of vampire flicks don't do the, hey, we're like a gang of vampires, right? right? Lost right. Boys, I think, most famously does it. Definitely. But these are, that's a pretty fresh group of vampires, right? Right. The Lost the lost Boys or whatever, you know, they're, they're teenagers. They've been turned for a year, two years, whatever it may be. When you're talking about Civil War age... Right. And I think that's the fun line. Right. At the end of the movie, when we finally see that they're putting it on the line to have at right. uh, Caleb. And there's that shot <laughs> where Homer jumps out of the back of the window chasing. May. Oh, my God. So May makes a choice. Right. She'll save the kid. 
Right. That's kind of her redemptive moment, which I'll get to in a minute. That really pissed me off. <laughs> but Homer just leaping after her because now he's lost May. Right. He's lost uh, Caleb's sister who he thought was going to be some kind of weird Pinocchio from Fables, you know, stuck old oh, creepy just, man stuck. Honestly, in a the boy first body. thing I thought of was this is exactly where the this, this feels like and it feels like um, Kirsten Dunst in Interview with the Vampire. Right, exactly. And him to just leap out into the flames right. is a direct inversion of when they're in that hotel room, right? Homer, who kind of is the most sadistic feeling vampire for parts of the movie, right, has this true terror reaction to, ah, sunlight! And he's really scared. Right. We actually see real fear in this, you know, predator's face. And then at the end of the movie, he just leaps out of the car, right? Right. And Lance Hendrickson and Diamondback could still get away and come back that night and finish the job. Right. But they don't. They just there's that kind of knowing small smile as they drive burning right at Caleb, knowing they won't make it. Right. Well, and I can't remember if it was Jesse or Diamondback, but they utter the line fun times. Yeah. There's a real right? like Thelma and Louise vibe between those two at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And that's the weird part is how little they care for their own demise, right? The right. fact that they are creating this moment that this is the end, right? Like, this guy's been around for 100 years. He has a woman he says he loves. Right. And just... Why, why risk it? Why risk it? I, I That's the part of the movie. And it, it doesn't play wrong to me, right? Because there's a part of me that when I see a vampire just willingly driving into the sunlight, it feels off to me. Right. It's like, imagine all the things these characters have had to do to make it to this point of the film, right? Yeah. Like, he's been murdering and slaughtering for so long. Why just toss that shit up? But I think it doesn't play wrong, and what it does is it kind of makes you go back, and the rest of the movie, you know, becomes a little bit inverted from where your head was at. Right. Is these aren't just the bloodthirsty, we're just trying to spread misery and carnage, you know, like a natural born killers, right? They're just lashing out at the world. Yeah. Now you see it is more, it gives it a little more pathos, right? There, there becomes this, a lot of extra emotions built into something like the bar scene. When you see that just days later, they're willing to just fucking explode. Right. I mean, I feel like, again, the, like I was like the pathos of, thriving versus surviving is what I kept coming back to through the movie. Yeah. It was like, there is this, like there's this sense of foreboding. Of, like when you're a vampire, just there's only a, like, you have only a certain amount of time. Like I, I think about it this way. A lot of the time, like vampirism is so fascinating because it's about all about darkness, living in darkness, thriving in darkness. But it, when you think about it, like the way we've seen traditional horror, uh, horror uh, vampire movies, like darkness exists for roughly, I don't know, 12 hours out of the day, maybe less. Mm -hmm. So you're only really living. You're not even as a person who has everlasting life. You're only living. You're only living a little bit at a time. Like that's not that's not what the that's not what living really is. So it's fun to watch like a Bill Paxton character who literally is the exact definition of what this should be like getting every minute every ounce of what it's worth so the pathos you see when you see those two driving off in the sunset or not in the sunset but into the sun literally bursting into flames that's like that's like the ultimate that is that to me is the ultimate 
I feel like I'm at, at like that's the ultimate at peace. It's odd to think about that as vampires, but like that's the ultimate at peace to me, I guess. Right? Yeah. That makes sense. And this this is no, it does. And that's that's what I think the movie's telling us is that something clicks where Jesse just says, you know, today's the day. This is a good day to be done with this. Right. And it it's strange too because they spend so much of the movie constantly mad at Caleb, right? Yeah. He's not one of us. He'll never be one of us. He won't fit in. Right. And so you're you're sitting there as the audience asking, well, what does make you guys the thing, right? Like, if, let's say D- Caleb, day one, he loses control and he takes the flesh, right? Right. Let's say in that bar he kills that guy. I still don't get the sense that they would then be like, oh, this guy's one of us, right? They have that really small moment when Caleb drives the van in and saves him. Right. They get to the hotel and, uh, you know, she's like, oh, you did good. Right. Diamondback tells him he did good. He's smiley and happy. Uh, Severin, right. Paxton gives him a spur and you're like, oh, he's part of the group. And Lance Hendrickson still says you only bought yourself some time. Yeah. Right. Like he's a part of the gang. He saved their lives despite the fact, you know, we just kind of brush over the fact that he clearly caused this problem. Right. <laughs> like he's a hundred percent responsible for one, why they're getting shot 100% up. Hundred percent responsible. <laughs> but nevertheless, he still saves the day, right? Yeah. And they still only say you have some time. And I think what this is meant to show me as an audience member is that Caleb is the one character who seemingly really has something to live for or to want to enjoy, right? Right. That even in his moments of kind of, you know, this despair at the the lot he's in and what he's going to be forced to do, him and May have real moments, right? Right, like they have real, passionate human moments. Whereas when you look at Jesse and Diamondback, it just feels like, well, this is the hierarchy we've had. We've been doing this for a long time. They have that moment where they're driving and like, remember when I found you on the side of the road fifty years ago. I don't know, presume, I mean, he must have been driving like one of those clunky-ass Model Ts. I don't know what. He's like, remember when I lured you in and stole your life from you? And she's like, yeah, yeah, good times, good times. <laughs> you know? And it's just, it feels worn and done, you know? So the more you look at, and then once you see the ending, you think back, none of them are happy right. and enjoying this at all. Even Bill Paxton, I think, is constantly so theatrical praying for the fight praying for physical contact hurt me testing himself but it doesn't feel like he's really you know suckling a lot of joy from his existence right right maybe he's the care i'm sure a lot of people listening will disagree with me there like oh he's the one guy who's truly having fun just i just don't see i think people like that that are so over the top and in your face that kind of stuff comes from a very desperate please fucking see me react to me give me something i mean that's you know that's the truest darkness you know like again (laughs) that's that's that level of insecurity all like whenever you see that 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 group of people and there's the one guy who's the loudest and most obnoxious and the one who's like he's the saddest person it's just he's cutting loose faster than the rest of them but that guy rest assured he's the one who's like going through the worst of it Yeah, well, he's the one who's just like, I will put so much out there so that you don't see what's going on kind of guy. Totally. I mean, that's like like, Homer's very upfront with it, right? Like he introduces himself with a dick grab and is like, my name's Homer. Don't mispronounce it or else. And I was like, 
how the fuck do you mispronounce Homer? Yeah. So I was like, that tells you there's a whole psychosis to him, period. Right. right. But those two are kind of our sadistic, like, baseline bad right. people. Well, I mean, like. But I think that's what the movie, it sends you more towards Jesse and Diamondback versus May and Caleb. Right. And you just see the, the flatness. Right. The just pure flatness of it. I mean, I feel like, like. Severin's a great example of a character who's so desperate to live, like so in so in desperate need of preoccupation. And mm -hmm. because he's sort of like, he, again, all of it's interesting, like funny you bring you bring up like uh, all these guys, like because they all are kind of on their last leg. They're all done with this. Like, really, yeah. when you think about it, like Severin would absolutely have let Caleb go. Should he like like that whole scene with the truck tra with the truck trailer where he jackknifes it like that whole bit is awesome for one, which is mm -hmm. it's a great bit for the movie. But any like any right minded vampire who like, kind of doesn't who's been around the block probably would be like, you know what? Fuck this. If he doesn't want to be part of it, it's better for us. We'll just fucking walk away from this. That's a guy <laughs> right there who not only wants his revenge, but he also is like so desperate to live. Like that's like the that's the thrill. Kill, that's the thrill kill for him right there. You know? Yeah. Well, the whole thing, the whole ending, I think, is just telling you how done these guys are. Yeah, totally. Because. One, they go back to the okay, – granted, this is the most – this is just telling you Caleb and his father, very, very low uh, thinking level happening, right? Because they're just like, oh, we're back and we cured you of vampirism. No possible way they'll come back. Let's leave our windows open and leave our daughter out of our sights. Let's yeah, not sharpen steaks and buy some extra garlic. You know what I mean? They're just like, oh, it's all good. We we got away. It's fine. You we'll know, just granted, wait till the sun comes up. They did me directly from this house, but it's fine. They'll never come back. So that's kind of foolish. But just the fact that they steal the girl to lure him back into town. I mean, yep. just the fact that Severin lets him hit him with the truck. Yeah. What are you proving? Do you really want to kill this guy and have revenge? Or is this something more? The hitting him with the truck is just like this. Look, look at I'm all chewed up. I can feel something. That's how I pictured Severin in that moment. The moment oh. when he's on the hood of the car, that says everything. He could jump up on that hood, bust through the window, and kill Caleb any moment. He could have killed him when he falls off the horse. He has him. There's no contest now that Caleb has no vampiric powers. Right. But he wants him to see, look. Nothing can get me. I am the most alive because I cannot die. Right. But to me, all that is communicating is that there is nothing inside of this man. Totally. Or this creature, whatever. And I think that that permeates a lot through the end of that movie because perhaps seeing Severin go down like that just shows Jesse, right? Like, yeah, maybe this is all horseshit, yeah. man. Oh, totally. I mean, he even has that line, right? He says, I taught Severin everything he knows. But not everything I know, right. which may be an illusion that, you know, Severin felt bad. He doesn't know how bad this gets. Sure. Maybe maybe it's not like I know, Van, you know, like uh, I know Kung Fu, the Matrix moment. No. Maybe it's just like Severin doesn't even understand that it was never going to get better. No. I mean, but that's yeah, I mean, I think that's that is a big separating factor for this movie to me. Yeah. Is these vampires feel more more human to me? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that it's the first time where I think you see the compounding knowledge of a vampire who's been around for centuries. It's much less about just knowing everything. Because I feel like that's usually the give is 
you say vampires who've been alive for like hundreds of years. Oh, they just know everything. Like that's mm-hmm. always the bit. This is, yeah, that guy has seen like everything. Like imagine yeah. what that would do to you knowing that a, you're not going to die. And also <laughs> you've totally seen it all. Like, let's see if you've been around since you fought for the South, that means a, you lost the civil war. So you started out as a vampire losing the civil war. <laughs> They don't say that he was a vampire when he fought. Right. But he definitely survived the Civil War, so you must assume yep. at some point he saw the end of it all. Then he got up through World saw War I. Saw a lot of fucking death, yeah. World War One, World War Two. This movie takes place in the eighties, so he got through Vietnam, like the whole whole yeah. bit. And granted, I don't know if Lance Hendrickson I don't know if it's <laughs> a good point. I don't know if Jesse looks young enough to be drafted, but if nevertheless, wow. Like this guy's seen a lot Lance of terrible Henderson shit. Has like that great face. You could just like get a headshot of Lance Hendrickson and tell me anything, right? Also, by Occupation, the way, occupation, age, whatever, and I just be like, yeah, that that tracks. Also, by the way, I just realized this. If he fought for the South, he also lived through civil rights, so he totally was like, damn it, we lost twice. Like that's oh, no, that's really that's been his burden. <laughs> he sees Caleb. He's like another Yankee oppressor. He's like, <laughs> another yankee oppressor is coming to take my girl that's what this movie's about it's really a it's really a civil war metaphor that's all it is <laughs> oh okay i didn't i didn't catch that part yeah that's true it's hidden very no, deeply um, this movie's got layers man <laughs> i think i don't know man because i was thinking about this too because that the showpiece for them right this is kind of a twofold moment in the movie where I feel like all of this sub emotionality of the vampires clicked for me, right? Right. The bar scene is just vampire joy. It's almost pornographic in how seductive and awesome it is to watch this scene, right? It's right. pure. This is one of the all time great vampire scenes in any movie to me. But this, it serves a, a, an extra function to me, which I love, which is. So we see a couple different ways, right? Like there's vampires shooting people, you know, cutting them with spurs, cutting them and drinking the blood out of a cup, right? Uh, Also getting back to something I said on Bliss with Carmelita. It's like a huge thing with vampire movies that always drives me nuts, which is why it's not my favorite subgenre, is I hate when vampires are just messy and like they don't worry about wasting 80% of the blood. Right, yeah. That really drives me nuts. That's your fucking sustenance. It matters. Yeah. Anyway, neither here nor there. No, no, it's an important but thing you, to bring up. You see a lot of like great vampire stuff, right? Like it's so fucking good. And Bill Paxton just fucking dominates that scene, right? Right. All timer stuff. So that's what I'm thinking as an audience member. I was like, holy shit, this movie's amazing. These vampires are amazing. Interesting. Caleb sees it experiences it the gunshot he throws a punch he's right. like this is pretty badass right yeah yeah caleb takes in the whole show and at the end of his decision making process is fairly unimpressed with who they are right because he sees what it could be and still lets that motherfucker go so this is a direct shot at all of those vampires that we put on the show we're so badass we're so tough look at this awesome marauder's life we lead Right. And Caleb just goes, eh, fuck you guys. Fuck that. They couldn't. It's like they say in Sopranos, right? When Richie April is trying to do his takeover and he goes to Uncle June and Uncle June tells uh, Bobby Bacala, he's like, he's a fucking loser. He couldn't sell it to the other captains. Right. Right. He said, Richie, I can't back Richie versus Tony because he's a fucking loser. 
And what do losers do? They lose. Again, Lance Hendrickson in the Confederacy, right? Losers fucking lose. They couldn't convince Caleb that this life was worth having for an eternity. So maybe that's the moment that broke them. Right. And then you immediately cut it to it's the third or fourth time that someone goes, I forgot that daylight was coming. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like you've been doing this for by the so way, fucking long. There's they've been vampires for this long and none of them have bought watches apparently. Ever. Yeah, they're they're like cheap thrill guys, right? They're like the guys that do that squirrel suit shit on real yeah. sport. There's a real like, like there's a real live uh, there's a real live by night approach to this vampirism, yeah. I gotta tell you. There's like eighty of us in the world that do it. Sixty five of them are now splatter marks. But you know, I gotta live. I gotta do me. It's like you're just you know what's coming and they just they don't care. They don't take precaution. Like why do they get a vehicle and not pre-black it out when it's dark? Right? Cuz they right. need any little fucking thrill they can. Any little fight or struggle. That's what they fucking need. Totally. And I think that that turn of the film into Caleb not buying into their fucking stage production right right not buying into i could be severin or whatever he's like fuck that i would rather just be caleb right right and then watching them just oh we forgot uh fly around and then watching them in the room kind of unprepared for the assault that's coming and i think it's just i think maybe that's the moment in the film where all the vampires are a little bit mentally broken that's got to be hard to be like we did like, imagine if Blue Man Group was just like, people weren't impressed by the banging of the pipes. Like, we got nothing left. That's the whole deal. You know, it's like, we're blue and we bang on things. Like, right. if you're not into that, we have nothing left. We yeah, that is interesting. Maybe, maybe Ka yeah, Caleb's, like, rejection of the whole lifestyle, like, not being totally enthralled has got to be, like, Jesse's marker of, like, maybe this thing has run its chorus. That's exactly what this movie is. This is well, like imagine the beats, right? So follow it. Here we are. Vampires in the bar. That's a high note. Right. He says, eh, not that cool. Ah, we're rushing to survive. Look at the adrenaline. Cam's like, not that cool. Not cool. Caleb is in a gunfight. He decides to save them probably more to save May. Right. Right. Maybe feels a little human guilt that he caused this shit show. <laughs> uh, and then they're like, you bought in. We'll give you a spur and threaten to kill you days from now. We're really cool. He's with May. And then just seeing his sister again is enough for him to say, fuck it, I'm out again. Right. They cannot prove to him that it is worth having their existence. And my contention would be is that every vampire in any story ever, right? Even the most narcissistic vampire, Lestat or Dracula, who whoever you would choose for that, right? They have to feel the worthlessness of this gift. You have this gift of eternal life. And as you kind of said, right? But what what is the life? How much life? Oh, you have all this extra time. But what are you actually, like, how are you living, right. right? So I think every vampire constantly would be grappling with the uselessness of their existence. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone goes to bed. It sucks. Right. And then Caleb just saying right to their face, like, hey, dude. I'm the guy who me and my friends meet, kick each other's trucks and pretend we're going to fist fight just to get a rise. Yeah. And I still would rather be that guy than a vampire. That has to be soul crushing. Oh, totally. That has to be like the worst thing that you could probably put into your, <laughs> into your brain as like a hundred year old vampires. Like, holy shit. 
these fucking shit kicking kids would rather fuck around with each other than be like totally dope and like run around with spurs on their boots and be cool. Yeah. Like that guy would rather just wake up and milk cows every day. You know what I mean? It's amazing. And go back to like the main drag of town where there are no girls, no nothing. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, that's better life for me than being a vampire. Right. That's brutal. That's fucking brutal. And this is probably one of the other vampire movies too, where you don't see a lot. A lot of vampire movies kind of mask that idea. Yeah. And this sensual sensuality of the vampire. Right. Right. Which is, it's so seductive. And you know, Dracula's always got like five side pieces. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, there's just a room with ladies and like drapey clothes. So it's always this like, yeah, they don't they don't glorify the vampire at all. Ooh. At all. And I think there's a lot of a lot of, again, a lot of the movies do the look at the horror of this living corpse, right? Right, right. But this one is so much more emotional. It, yeah. Like that's the 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 stake that goes through Jesse's heart is Caleb rejecting the light right to well, me i mean what it ends up really being is not look at the horror of this living corpse it's look at the horror of this living corpse yeah right <laughs> like this guy's life sucks <laughs> so are we just gonna hit every worst bar and motel in oklahoma is this is this just what we do yeah see this is like i feel like jesse's like one of the few vampires who like didn't learn about like the like probably had all his ducats in the stock market crash and he's been like trying to catch up ever since <laughs> Like, he's probably a super rich vampire at one point, lost it all, and this is, like, his yeah. life right now. Well, I mean, just the fact that the gang allows Homer to exist the way he does, it's just like, Homer's one of those guys, like, we all have friends like that where you're like, this guy's been with us for a while. Right. But he's truly adding nothing to the group <laughs> dynamic. Like, everyone has the friend that you've gone out to a bar, right? Like, I remember when we were younger, right? You're like, all right, we're going out tonight. We're going to meet some ladies. It's time to party. Uh, you know, you gather yourself as if you are, you know, studs on the stud farm. Like, all right, we're four horses, right? We're thoroughbred racehorses. Also, Derek's coming with us. <laughs> you know, not great, but let's disguise him with, like, you know, that horse dancing right. that Mitt Romney's wife does. Exactly. <laughs> a little, and, little you know, dressage. Yeah, some dressage, right? And then if you actually start talking to a girl, you see Derek coming and you're like, I'm not really that good of friends with this guy. Bear with me. Right. right? You already are telling the people you're meeting like Derek is with us, but not with us. Well, Derek's like, and that's Homer. And that's another, just one of these, the state of this vampire group is so sad. Homer is so sad. Yeah. I mean, Homer is the friend off friend. Like Homer's the person that like (laughs) Homer's the person when you go to a bar, it's actually happened to me recently. In a bar in tech, in a bar in Austin, one of my friends friend offed somebody to me, and I was like, "That's masterful," because I know that he was probably annoying the bejesus out of you all night, and uh, it just became like my thing. And I was like, "This is my Homer," not that that yeah. moment, but I realized now when I I was like, "This is the Homer." Yeah. I'm this is the Homer. I'm dealing with it. Yeah, no, I think that that to me is what is masterful about Near Dark is that. <laughs> it is a, a horror movie. The vampire scenes are very good, right? Yeah. The bar scene is excellent. The the luring people in, right? Her drinking the scene in the movie that probably sticks with me the most that I really think about a lot is when they're with the truck driver who's explaining how to stop the truck, right? Right. 
he's kind of jonesing. He gets out of the truck. He doesn't want to do it. (laughs) The guy follows him out like, hey, I want to be a good truck driver and make sure you're not like sick or die. May attacks him. Caleb won't drink the blood, but is by proxy drinking the blood of the murdered people through May. Right. And there's this really small moment, right, where May pulls back and almost looks at him in horror. Like, oh, my God, what have I done to this guy? Right. And she goes, you could have killed me. And he's just laying back on the ground. And his reaction to that is this just really unusually timed smile. He just smiles back at her as the storm is kind of settling in, right? There's thunder. And so there is this weird, there's so much happening in that exchange, right? The May being horrified at what she did, him laughing in her face like, oh, I could kill you. Right. Also, like, maybe that is what I want. There's just a lot happening, and I think that's a perfect microcosm for Near Dark. Agreed. I'm actually really glad you brought this up, too, because – this has some of my all-time favorite cutaways as metaphors for the movie, which is they're in an oil derrick scene. Like, they're in an oil derrick, and as he's eating, they, cut, they keep cutting back and forth between that and the derrick, and I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. like, the best 80s, like, cutaway B-roll bit ever is just, like, get that oil derrick. It's the metaphor for what she is for him. Like, that, I was like, that's just great. I love that. That, that scene is a right. microcosm, but also one of my all-time favorite cutaways, like, Here's the metaphor. Enjoy it. Yeah, for sure, man. And and that to wrap this thing up, that is why I wish Near Dark had just been more available for a longer time because I feel like it's one of those movies that just kind of faded to the background, yeah. and I don't understand this be, why. This should be a double feature with Lost Boys, like all the time. Yeah, I mean, any vampire list you compile, this should be near the top to me, hundred percent. And I feel like it just kind of disappeared for a while, man, and. What what I again, the really great horror movies to me separate because you have the great horror stuff, right? Right. You have a great villain in Bill Paxton and Jesse. Uh-huh. Or uh, you know, Lance Henderson. You have great villains, you have great iconography, you've got the blood, you've got the gut, but really it is so impressive how you could pull the vampirism out of this movie and just do it as marauders. Yeah, totally. And it would work equally as effective to me. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure a lot of people will be like, what? Not seeing Bill Paxton complain about having to eat a hairy guy, <laughs> which I was like, like the fact okay. that he brought that up. Cause as soon as I saw the guy, I was like, Oh, look at that shoulder hair. You're like, I bet that guy tastes like an ashtray filled with natty light. Yeah. Like that's what his <laughs> blood tastes like. I don't want to eat that. But watching him complain and eat, I was like, that's really like you can tell they spent time thinking vampires through. Did you- and what they did was they gave us a great vampire movie, but it has this just insanely powerful bedrock yeah. of humanity. Well, and I think and that's the characters what, all have real heart for the most. I think part. that's what great like I feel like vampire movies function for two function well in two ways. One is like you just blow the lore out the window where you're just like all about the vampire. Like interview with the vampire. Everyone loves that vampire story because it's all about the lure, the history. Yeah. Or you do what near dark does, which is yes. Bedrock, a movie about loneliness and drifting through this life and trying to find meaning. And then you pepper in the supernatural on top and it becomes a much better movie for it's for it's uh, a, it becomes a much better movie with the sum of its parts. Yeah. That's the only part that drove me nuts though, is that may gets her moment at the end. She should have saved the girl, apologized to Caleb, and then exploded, right? Sure. The totally. fact that she has 
feasted on other human beings. She survives a little right? bit of a cop out, a little bit of an 80s but, love story angle. Right. But I mean, I get the image, right? Like they were constantly, let's go take in the night and then they take sure, in the light, sure, right? I, I get it as a bookend. Sure, totally. My thing is, though, is Caleb never technically, technically Caleb was drinking blood that she drank from other people, right? Right. Technically, he broke it, but his fangs never his nev- drew his innocent fangs never blood. Drew innocent blood, yes. On his own accord, right? He did technically, but not on his own, right? And this right. is magical thinking anyway, so he didn't break the vow, right? He even let a guy go. She has been a predator for a long time, so the thought that the transfusion just, now you're cool, now you get to do sunlight again. Right. It's like, uh, she was also the fucking uh, Trojan vampire, as it were, yeah, that for let real. them she started this kidnap whole the thing, sister. Although, honestly, it's like if you didn't know they were coming back and you leave your windows open, I mean, they might as well have been like, oh, the vampires are here. And her dad should have just fucking chucked his daughter to them. Like, have fun. Right. He's like a an Uber Eats guy. Like, oh, you want my daughter? Fair play. Fair play. I didn't see this coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> it's so stupid. They just have dinner. And they're talking about reading stories the first night after their son is back from vampirism. <laughs> but that's human. That's the human experience, my friend. True. Too All true. right, guys, that's it for Near Dark. Uh, what a true classic. I'm so glad it popped up on Criterion Channel again. Uh, if you don't have Criterion, they do, I think they do even, is it a two weeks or a month? You get to test it for free. Yeah. Um, I would say you should just get it. There's tons of amazing stuff on there. Totally. Uh, but the ability to watch Near Dark, man, right now, if you don't have it, it's a hard-to-find disc at times. Watch it there and then go find it if you want. Go buy it wherever. All right, guys, that is our third entry for the month of a moor, right? I would do anything for love, parentheses, but I won't do that. I won't eat and become a real vampire, May. I got to get back to my milking farm, right? That's that's what he wouldn't do. That's what he wouldn't do. Uh, so one more for the month of a moor, Lars and the Real Girl, which, uh, you know, Pretty, pretty apt for the time we're living in. Uh, very poignant. You said it. <laughs> Jeez. So I, <laughs> I am excited to get to Lars and the Real Girl. Again, guys, check out our double feature we did with Carmelita. Uh, it was really last good. Week, that was Carmelita, Liz thank and you Luce so much. On Shutter. Yeah, she's really delightful she's so to talk to. so great to have show. Yeah, great to have her back. Uh, we've got more double features coming. We've got more stuff coming to the YouTube page. That's Nerd Alchemist with an S at the end. Please leave us ratings and reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts, guys. A quick sentence or two and a five-star means an enormous amount to a show like us. Uh, but that's it, man. That's all we got uh, for today. So for the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino.